Welcome to the Jonazo Podcast, where you get to peek behind the curtains of what it takes to create and run a seven-figure fitness facility that ranks in the top 5% of boutique fitness studios for revenue. But to be honest, that's the least important thing about us. Founded by me, Michael Hughes, Gymnazo has created an ecosystem of services that blend performance with restoration techniques and attracts top coaches to its facility. Hosted by its owners, Peyton and myself, and our top coaches, this podcast shares our best practices on everything from how to build a sustainable fitness business, to how to program for maximum results, to how to build a hybrid training module that's online and in person. We have marketing secrets, movement innovation, and breaking down trends in the industry. If you're a fitness professional or a fitness business owner, this is where you learn how to sharpen your skills and to see maximum results. Welcome back to the Gymnazo Podcast. I'm your co-host, Michael Hughes, with CJ Kobliska, and we are diving into a topic that's kind of like nature versus nurture. You know, we've had that conversation a lot in, in life, you know, like, are, are you good because you're good or because, yeah, the genes that you have just make you a, a rock star? Well, this is a kind of a similar topic in a sense that we're talking form over function and then the abstract of spherical awareness. So I'm really excited how we're going to dive through this process of thinking of this from a client standpoint, from an athlete standpoint, and from a trainer standpoint of, is there a right and wrong way to move? Is there a good and bad exercise? Where that knee goes in a squat, a lunge, where the case is a reach, should we say, oh, watch out? Or you know what? You're just doing a good job moving through your body. Keep on just doing your thing. So we're going to unpack that, uh, have some fun doing it, bring a lot of different perspectives into it. And I really appreciate CJ's um, thought on this because there's a kind of a special announcement in a sense, not full unveiling, but something coming up that um, I'm excited for him to chat about. So starting this thing, thing off is was I when I went through my educational, formal quote-unquote educational process as a certified personal trainer, even in my bachelor's of science in kinesiology, it was like, okay, this is how the body should move. It's been case studied, it's been journaled, it's been medical reviewed, and here is the evidence-based practice of things to do. And as a naive, like, okay, you're the professor, I'm the student, you obviously know more than I do and have a vast amount of knowledge on, on human function, great. So I trained that exact same way. This is how the knee is supposed to track over the toes. This is how the elbow is supposed to be aligned with the shoulder in a bench press. This is how the spine should be stacked, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it was effective. It worked. But I found out, and what I want CJ's thought process on, is how limited is that approach? Well, I think, first of all, um, fitness is not just lifting weights. Um, but I feel like we all think that we need to lift weights in order to be fit. Um, I know there's other styles out there that you don't need any weight at all. But uh, when we're learning perfect form, um, you know, for a squat or for a lunge, a lot of times it's with weight, uh, especially when we're, we're testing somebody initially to see if they can do it. Um, but we don't necessarily have a starting point of how this person moves through space. We, we have an ideal view of how bones should be stacked from the foot to the ankle to the knee to the hip to the spine to the shoulders to the elbows to the wrists, um, especially when you have very complex lifts. And those lines and those essentially the geometry of the motion needs to make sense in order to move the most efficient way possible, um, an effective way possible, and the safest way possible. So um, 
I think it's very important that we learn that initially. We learn those little stages of how these, how the arms should be in line with the torso and the torso in line with the hip and the shins and what, whatever else, um, depending on the motion. But I think we, we ceiling ourselves, we cap ourselves off at that point saying this is how we should move. But really this is how we should lift in this specific motion pattern hmm. with this kind of weight, with this kind of intention. Like if we're gonna do a power clean, or we're gonna do a back squat, or we're gonna do a front squat, or we're gonna do an overhead press, with this piece of equipment, this is how it should look to be the most efficient way possible. But what that doesn't, what we're not considering in that instance is, how does this carry over to this person's lifestyle, um, their overall vitality in life, and their expression through their movement? If we're limiting them to just these lifts to build the strength that they're coming in to build, but they actually want to come in for, to, so they can live a, a more functional and freely moving life, there's a there's a bridge that needs to be built there, um, and it comes from the client to the coach interaction, which is to understand what does this person's best form look like, what is their best form that they're capable of getting to right now, to make their motion the most efficient. And are we always looking for the efficiency, or are we looking to expose their um, boundaries of awareness in terms of um, the reaction, or when the environment isn't perfect, are they able to still uh, lift their kid up on their shoulder when they're on the side of a hill versus shouldering a, shouldering a sandbag when their feet are neutral and their spine is straight. Hmm. Um, does that actually carry over? I think in some instances, sure. If you're lifting a lot of heavy weights and you're doing it very linearly and very intentionally, sure, you're going to develop quite a bit of strength in those linear lines. But at what point now does your body say internally that it can't actually go through a range of motion or a specific rotation and then lift this weight up and put it up on a shoulder. Something that is way more of a survival skill or you're saving your kid off of the side of a hill is about to go off the edge. Like, oh, come back here, right? Um, I think that visual is very important because you'll probably have the strength to do it. But did you end up hurting yourself doing it because it was an imperfect form and your kid's 40 pounds and you just took it from the side and lifted it up on your shoulder? Um, I think that we need to consider what are the positions and what are the, the actions that the person's going to actually visit in real life and then base their program and their the, the form corrections and cueing off of how they present their motion. But we do need to have an understanding of what the perfect sense is with perfectly straight lines so we have a reference point. We have a form that we can be um, extrapolating from, but not necessarily shooting that we need to do that exact form every single time. Maybe if we're going for maximal loads, this is the way we need to do it. But for submaximal loads, what if we just had a lot of variety and options on our form and cueing based on what the person needs? I think you said it, it really, really well from the standpoint. It's like, yes, the joints have an optimal path, relatively speaking, that we've kind of understood. You know, we know that, that the knee is going to have less relative rotation than the ankle and the hip joint. We're gonna, the knee's going to have way more flexion in it than the ankle joint. We're going to know that the elbow and the knee are relatively similar joints, where the hip and the shoulder are relatively similar joints. So I think that's a really important piece that I think we all need to really grasp at. I mean, at a, at a pretty, I would say like an 85% level of understanding, you know, to be kind of training the evolutionary process of the human being for lifetime success of movement, because in this linear function of what we were taught, we're really limiting the amount of ability that we have. So form is very like, this is the way you have to do it. It's like filling out a form on any DMV sheet. Well, it's very 
defined on what you can or cannot say because the boxes define those those things versus here's an open paragraph opportunity to fill out a, a form. It's like, oh, well, let me just see what's what's possible. And what I like about this function over form commentary is like, wait a minute, form says this is the way to do it, but life says this is the way it needs to be done. And the body's this in-between piece. This is how I see it. The body's your in-between piece. Okay, well, what should I do in my certain, certain state of being, which changes? It's really like... When I wear like wedding clothes, wedding season's coming up. You know, it's like when I wear those those loafer shoes that look real sweet, I move differently. <laughs> but when I'm in my training shoes, it's like the world is my oyster. I can do whatever I, I want. It's really when I'm when, when I tuck in a shirt, it's like oh, all right, I gotta have a little more shoulder swagger, you know. But when I'm my shirt's untucked, again, I'm I'm really kind of having fun with this <laughs> thought process. Like life dictates things so differently, and. I believe that we should have the biggest cornucopia of opportunity from joint segments to sequencing of, of motion patterns available from good form traditionally and even bad form traditionally. Because like you said, especially being a, a dad, there's moments where my kids like don't know that the street with cars coming is very dangerous. But the street with no cars coming is not dangerous at all, actually but there's this magical line called the sidewalk that they have to stay on. Well, what happens when they run out? And I, I, I have to make a decision quickly without thinking where's my form and is it good or not? And that's, I think, is a really kind of interesting topic of conversation. It's like if we always train one way, does that, does that limit our availability in another way? And therefore, do we only understand that one way as good and therefore repeat good, repeat good, repeat good, but we're limiting the factor of, wait a minute, what else? Yeah, no, I think it's a, it's a kind of the epitome of my, of my practice. Uh, I'm an explorer in my practice, um, but I do have conditioned thoughts of what I should be focusing on, or mm-hmm. more so now, what I can be focusing on. And the more I realize that I can shift my awareness and my focus from... Oh, I need to have okay my knee on top of my foot. All right, where's my head in reference to my foot? My head, my head over my foot. Um, there's ways that I can help to find better balance, better stability, and more leverage to lift heavier weights. Where if I were, let's say there's a 106 pound kettlebell in front of me, there's infinite ways I can lift that thing up. Infinite. Tell me there's not, because I will sh- I will go into an exhaustive list right now. My pinky, my index finger, my whole fist. My two arms. I could throw forearms in there. I could grab it. Like there's, there's Teeth, so many ways to lift it. Jaw. Te- oh man, you watched uh, DJ Marikami doing some of that primal <laughs> that's training, exactly what lifting I about. stuff. And yeah. so like that's the kind of thing that helps to build a a more robust set of knowledge that we can use as a collective. Saying these are cues that you can use versus this is the cue that you should use for this. I think the should side needs to be less focused on and more of you can do this, and this is some sensations or things that can arise, and here's potential gains from it. Um, I'm not a huge guy on an exhaustive list of like, here's your benefits, here's your gains, and now go do it. It's more so I'd like you to try this because I know it's going to help you out, and I want you to reflect back at me what you experienced because if I'm going to tell you what to feel and what to do, that's what you're going to experience and feel, and then you may get stuck there and not know how to think for yourself on those moments when your kid's running into the street and you need to say, okay, I need to have my arm in line with my spine and my arms on my sides, and I need to pump. 
you don't have time to think about that. Your body is just reacting. Your mind is responding, essentially. So how do we set our body up to better respond to life's chaos? Mm -hmm. You explore more pathways of doing the same motion pattern. Um, But if you're in the process of saying, I'm trying to build my max squat, I'm trying to be the best bench presser that I can be personally, there might be certain cues and corrections that can help you do that faster. But if, again, if that's, if, if that's your intent, is not necessarily for life circumstances, it's for this event, then there needs to be more specific cues because there might be rules that say you can't do it this way, you have to do it this way. It's very true. So now you're in a confined space. Mm-hmm. Now, not a, necessarily a confined space, but a confined um, set of rules that now you have to lift off of, which I'm all for too because you restrict yourself from all these possibilities. You're going to experience something, something very specific or be now in a competitive level where everybody's doing something very similar. And so now you can't be like, oh, well, this person did this, so they lifted it heavier. This person did this, so they didn't do it as heavy. So that person's the strongest, but this person could be the strongest. Like you get into this kind of argument of, well, they did it differently. Yeah, It's like form is trying to fit us into this function of this is how fitness should be. In reality, what you're you're saying is, no, 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 fitness is everything. Everything. Literally (laughs) everything. And traditional fitness has said, no, 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 this is what fitness is. And And I think that's probably why a lot of people don't go into it, because they just, I can't do it that way. Right. Yeah. I'm in too much pain. I can't do this. I can't do that. I shouldn't do this. My doctor said I shouldn't do that. Again, we're in the should, 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 and should nots. What about you? What do you think? I think every person has their own little cues that they give their body, but some are probably more effective and efficient, and others are just masking or helping you compensate better, which may not be the best thing either. Uh, someone, um, I think it was Gary Gray who said this to me, he says, Michael, there's no such thing as a bad compensation. Excuse me. The, the word compensation is not a bad word. Is it a good compensation or is it a bad compensation? And life is literally filled with compensations. There's a right way to do it that is optimal for complete joint health across the board. And then there's just, well, that's good and enough. And I think that's how we live life is that's good enough. And I think that's where training and conditioning should really be, except for those cases that are literally sports-specific, activity-specific, where there's rules, right? There's rules on how you do, do stuff. But in reality, the body is very good. But can we leverage the mechanical advantages of each joint and know how to actually do it? And when we train function, we can do that. When we train form, I think we can't do that to the same degree because it has to be in line with where we're at. Uh, I remember in track and field, I, I ran track and field for six years, um, uh, seventh grade all the way to, to 12th. And we had a really good team for our local school. Like we were competitive. You know, we went to our, we went to state, we didn't win it, but we got the opportunity to go in California and that's a pretty big state. So I was pretty, in, I was relatively impressed. But a lot of the form on running as we really kind of unpack gait, right? And I think that's a really kind of hot topic, at least in the trainer world, is really un- understanding how the gait mechanics work. Because it's kind of the holy grail. You know, it's one of them, really. Um, and it was just pump your arms faster. And I remember doing drills, sitting on the grass, flexed hips, both feet in front of you, like you're going to do a seated hamstring stretch, and just pumping your arms, like, yeah, this is how you run faster. You can get more upper body leverage from pumping your arms faster. And the one thing, and I totally agree with that, but the one thing that I disagree with now is don't 
moves your spine. Keep it pretty still. You can let it move a little bit, but it's really just arm pump. Elbows drive forward and back. You know, my coach described it as throw an elbow into the wall behind you and lick your ice cream cone. <laughs> that, was, that was his, like, yeah, I just remember, I remember that. So it's elbow cute. back and then thumb up, right? Like you're going to eat an ice cream cone, and that's how you run faster. And we did that ad nauseum. But now we're like, wait a minute. Don't the elbows connect to the shoulder blade and the shoulder blade through the thoracic spine? And isn't the thoracic spine much more powerful than all those things combined? And should we rotate that? And you look at things like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Anyway, so it's like kind of this evolutionary, like tech, like we're understanding more about the body. Body hasn't changed, relatively speaking, in our you know several decades of being on this planet. But our understanding of how it operates has certainly changed. And form is now being rewritten. But there's this fight of like, oh, wait a minute. That's not peer-reviewed. I would say that's going to be bad. When really, shouldn't we just say that what is painful is bad for that person in that moment? Shouldn't we say discomfort is bad for that person in that moment? We should avoid that. But we should still explore all the possibilities of what is not painful. With this bigger notion, and this is a big piece, and if you're listening to this right now, I think this is the biggest piece, at least from my context, is good today doesn't mean good tomorrow. Non-painful movement today doesn't mean lifetime of pain-free motion tomorrow. Well, my form feels great. I get it. But are you destroying the system faster Destroying is the wrong word. Are you using the system's bandwidth resources faster so that when you're in your later part of your life, you still have the same amount of function relative towards that period of your life? Let me bring up an example, I think, yeah. just to, to visualize this a bit better. Um, you're a runner. You go run on trails. And you feel pretty dang good. And you've taken a few running seminars. You go into a few different ones, taught you different running mechanics. Um, and a lot of it, let's say it's teaching you a lot of rigidity, stiffness, and use your arms and use your legs. And then you go to another seminar that says, hey, let's use your arms and your legs, but drive it through your spine. And we're going to funnel it through your spine. And you're trying to essentially grab bits and pieces from all these seminars to run better. And now when you're running, you're thinking about all these things while you're running, and you're so focused on doing your run that you're never fully experiencing your run. But you feel fine. But man, that running is kind of getting you exhausted. Like you're not actually feeling energized at the end. You're not really getting a runner's high. You're just, I got to get my running in. My form is good and I'm, I'm set. And now three years down the road, you're having plantar fasciitis, some knee pains, and occasional lower back discomfort here and there. Not inhibiting you from running, but you're like, oh, my running days are coming to an end. Like I think I maybe have another five, ten years, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need a knee surgery. And I've had conversations like this with multiple people. Like, I think I'm about done running. I'm going to get my hip redone. I'm like, well, how have, you, how have you been running? And they said, oh, I've been working on my form and all these things. And I, what, I, what I fall into, um, what I think people fall into is these words we think they have a definition, but it's just relative to how we define them. Like, what is form? What is good? What is bad? Those are all very loaded terms. And how I see good form, how you see good form, though we might have trained in the same place, we express that differently and coach it differently and cue it differently. 
Some of us are um, authoritative, like this is the way it must be done. And some of us are saying, hey, this is the way it needs to be done, but today we'll kind of make some modifications. And I think where we run into a rut is that we're getting so tied up into what these words, what we think they are, when they're just a way that's pointing towards the truth of, well, how do we define form? Form is like a structure, but in some cases it's a position. In some cases it's multiple body parts in a position versus one. And in other cases it's your tension in your position. And you need to activate muscles and squeeze your core and squeeze your glutes and grip grip the floor. Regardless, it's all cues that we're giving our body. Doesn't our body know how to do all these things naturally if we just sat, let's say it is a, it is running and you just ran more instead of focusing so much on the correct form, you just feel for what better efficiency feels like. And you explore a little bit without exploring and going outside of what you know, you only keep reinforcing what you know and what you do. And in that is where dysfunction can arise because you're doing the same thing in the same way and often, and then consistently over time, your body fascially is going to form to that way of moving. If you run rigid, your fascia will form rigidly around you because you're telling your body to be stiff and, and to lock in. If you don't have any tension in your system, you're just all flaccid. Well, you're probably going to be wobbling your head around and you, you've probably seen some funky running form, Oh yeah, right? But who's to say that's bad? For, like we see them like, oh, that's bad form. I can help them so much. Like how many, how many coaches out there, how many trainers out there are walking around town going, I could fix that. Oh my gosh, that's a bum knee. Like you get caught up in seeing from a certain lens of how things should be without recognizing or asking the question, how do you feel? And what, what do you sense? Like maybe, you, maybe you're not experiencing a ton of discomfort, but maybe it's because you've never pushed yourself to the edge where that discomfort would arise. And so it's happening over 30 or 40 years, and now your toes out walk is now hurting your ankles and your low back. But for the past 30 years, not really anything here and there, little, little things popping up. But without the exposure to now going a toe-in walk or some internally rotated squats or lunges, your body never has the opportunity to balance itself out, so you fall back into your old structure. And I think that's, how, that's what happens with practicing really good form, for sake of a better word. It's whatever your good form is, you're just going to think that's the way you need to do it and should do it. And when you fall out of line from that form, like, oh, no, this is bad. I'm going to hurt myself. And then your body expresses that emotion physically and mentally. You eat yourself up. I did bad form. My, oh, I took a video of my squat. My knees were wobbling a little bit. Who said that knee wobble is bad? What if it's your knees trying to find a better path between your ankles and your hips? And it just takes you five or six sets of that to then straighten that out over time. Versus, oh, that's bad, and now we need to fix this. And now you try to put yourself into a box in straight lines. And now your knees move in a straight line. But now your hips and your ankles are like, oh, I don't like this. And your knees feel great, though. There's a trade-off there. And I think it, it comes down to the exposure of, of exploration um, or the capacity of exploration you have within your, within your movement practice um, and with your coach, too. If your coach is having you do the same thing in the same way for multiple months and then years in a row, what we've seen, and I'm going to speak from my instance, what I've seen is that people come in, now they're in a box and how they think it should move, and they look like they're moving like a box versus moving like a, a ball. I want to see people move around like a ball and roll around and be free versus a, a box, and now they're stuck. Right. And to move is a clunk and a clunk and a clunk, and it moves, but yeah, not the, not the, not the, not the flow that the human, not the flow that I believe physics provides us. I think that's a really important thing. Wind, water, 
It's a flow. It finds something and it moves around it. And I think, I feel that our body has that exact same capacity if we train it to have it. Like we can train our bodies to do anything. You know, like what we thought was impossible physically, human body physically was disproven and continues to be disproven. Now there's certain things that physics may still say, flying like Peter Pan is still gonna be an impossibility, but we thought running uh, under four minute mile wasn't wasn't impossible. Now I know that's a pretty big difference in physics, but well, let's see what another few centuries gives us impossibility. But having that open mindset is saying like, I believe that we need to provide versatility, possibility, angulation, opportunity with this mindset that we need to increase our mechanics from joint segment to joint segment to joint segment versus just what a joint or what a series of joints is is doing. Because when a knee goes in or a knee goes out on a squat, there's a benefit on both and there's a con on both, pro and con on both. When we do an overhead squat versus a single straight leg deadlift, there's a pro and con between those different mechanics. When we throw a ball with our right foot in front and throw a ball with our left foot in front, whatever the throw is, there's a mechanical difference, and one's more leveraged and one's one's not. One, you'll probably throw the ball further, and but one, one, you probably need to be able to access that position in case you you have a you don't have a perfect throw opportunity. Right, exactly. <laughs> and I love that about the game of baseball, which I also played a lot. Sometimes you throw off your dominant leg, sometimes you throw off your non-dominant leg, or your opposite to your throwing arm to the non-opposite of your throwing arm. Both plays have to be made. And life is the same way. Sometimes you have to lift a suitcase out of that escalator opportunity that you're like, oh, crap, what's happening? The wheel got jammed in the thing in one way or a different way. Sometimes you have to go just climbing around a stream and realize, crap, there's a rock that's in a bad position. I want to land on this leg, but I can't. And it's sloped just slightly with a very degree to the left. That's not pronation when you need to be pronating. The body can still do it. But if you don't train it to access that, again, I love the mental cue parts. Like, oh, that's bad. I shouldn't do that. When the body says, bring it on. Give Give me a shot. No, our mental cueing. And then it goes to guilt, and it goes to shame. They're like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm too old for that. Mm-hmm. I'm not trained for that. I'm even too young for that. What teaches that mindset? I, it's our way of training. Right, it's our way of training. We put them in a box, so now their thinking's in a box. You said something so beautiful of, about water, and I think what we're leading to is water takes the shape of its container. If we're mostly water, and we're putting ourselves into a box, how, how beautiful is water in a box versus water in a sphere? water is spherical in a sense. So if you put it in a box and you just set it, put it in a sphere and you set it, you can roll that, let's say it's like a, a glass sphere half filled with water and you roll that thing, you're going to see that water slosh around in different ways that it's never done before. You got a box, you're going to slide that box, that water's going to stay pretty, I mean, if you give some force, it'll slosh a little bit, but it's going to all kind of settle back into its rigidity. Uh, what I'm getting at is if we move ourselves like that and we're, we explore that freedom, what's above us, what's beneath us, what's the sides of us, what's around us. And we don't put ourselves into limited cues, but we use those cues as guideposts or the form as guideposts from which to then extrapolate from or go deeper into. Um, we're going to provide those opportunities where when you are looking at that rock and going, oh, that's a, I don't know if I'm going to be able to land on that. You're not considering all the joint angulations and pronation. If you're an average Joe, you're thinking, I've leapt on a box before. That was a little wobbly. 
Maybe I've jumped from a bozu to another bozu. I think I can do this. And you settle. Your body's going to organize and worry about all that pronation and, ro and rotation and stability and flexion because you've experienced it in your practice. The, not necessarily the randomization all the time and not necessarily the variety all the time, but the intent with which you're practicing is now open to experience. If, you know, if you're, if you're out of pain and your goal is to stay out of pain, you're probably not living a risky enough life. But yeah. when you get into pain, what do you do about it? Do you sit and do nothing or do you try to explore what may have caused, like if it's not an impact injury, let's say you're just out running around on the beach, playing with the dogs, throwing the ball in the water and you just jump in the water and then you run around. You're like, oh, I stepped on a rock. And you're like, oh, I kind of think I rolled my ankle a little bit. My hip's kind of gunky and my shoulder's kind of gunky. Does your thought go, I should not have done that? I'm never going to do that again. You're so stupid. Why did you do that? You're like 50 years old, man. Shouldn't be messing around like this and playing around like a kid. Or the other side of the mindset, which is like, damn, I rolled my ankle again. I felt like I was like 14 running around in the water. That was really fun. I make sure I'm going to recover and come back so I can do that again. How can we... The, do, you, do you agree with those two different mindsets? I completely agree. And it's really conditioning. It's we <laughs> condition ourselves either from a macro or from a micro standpoint on yes or no. I'm, you said it real. I'm, I'm not a kid anymore. You could be movement-wise if you wanted to, to be. You know, yes, again, there's, there's injuries out there, car actions that really limit our, our body, mm -hmm. and I get it. But from the vast majority of people, it's a mindset limitation based upon a box of form that is right or wrong. Besides exploring this possibility of saying, no, your tissues literally have the capacity to grow and to not grow or to, you know, to grow in size or shrink in size from a way of standpoint, right, um, through your entire life. It never stops. Never. Yes, bones cannot be taken away in terms of, you know, you can't remove an arthritis. I, again, you can shave it down. I know there's procedures out there to do this, but from, a, you know, keep your same parts. Like, let's keep working. Let's keep exploring what you can do and I love that about this kind of function standpoint is like, no, if that's an, if, if your knee says don't do that, great, then still explore what it can do. Keep pushing the possibilities. And it's tough because if you don't have a trainer who thinks like that, it's tough. I get it. Magazines aren't talking about that. Social media is not talking about that. You know, we're talking about high gas prices and da -da -da. You know, no one's thinking about the internal machine of their lives saying, let's keep you running for the, for, until the last beat of your heart versus, nah, my time's done. It's like, I'm retired. You, no retiring from movement. No retiring. No, 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 no. That's like saying I had breakfast. I don't ever eat, have to eat breakfast again. <laughs> I like that. That's well, true. You still got to eat. Still got to eat. Tomorrow. Still got to eat, you know. <laughs> um, so I get it. You don't, you know. Things are painful. Things are, are tight. This is the way I've been doing it for a long time. I, you know, I was a big runner, and now my knees are shot. I, I still understand it. But we had, and that's what I love about our thought process, and, and it's still being evolved, is this process like, no, 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 no. We know what you can't do. That's not what's most important. We know, you know, it's like, it's like to me, that's form saying, this is what you should do, or this is what you don't do those things. We're functioning saying, no, 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 this is the possibilities. Let's find that one. We've had people, that's what I love about what we do here is that we have people with massive compensation limitation patterns, but we still find a way for success. 
because we're exploring the different angulations that are possible and the spherical potential of what the body has. Do you mind unpacking that for us? Like, what do we mean by spherical training, spherical uh, movement potential? Uh, it's it's essentially a framework from which to explore. A, a spherical awareness is understanding. It's a more like an understanding, not just like seeing it and reading like, oh yeah, it makes sense, but actually embodying it, which we'll get to, but... We have a top of our body, we have a bottom of our body, from our head to our feet. You know, we have a right side to a left side. Um, we have a front to a back. And so if we can become aware of not just like the individual muscles in there, but areas of our body. When I'm saying sphere, I'm thinking about like kind of more this webbing that surrounds us internally or our fascia. And these fascial meridians essentially move in different lines or paths that aren't just linear. They're diagonal, they're spiral, they're compressed, they're expanded, they go through every nerve in our body, blood vessel, bone, ligament, tendon, muscle. It's, it's everywhere. It's what connects everything. So if we can have an awareness by embodying this structure, this form that we've been gifted from birth, this fascial webbing, if we can pull that apart in different ways, elongate it from top to bottom, elongate it front to back, elongate it side to side, essentially giving our body space to expand or explore in our sphere, um, imagine you're in this giant bubble, like bubble boy, and you have a top of your bubble, you have the sides of your bubble, you have the front and back of your bubble. Well, our body has this invisible barrier around it that is a giant sphere. Nobody can deny it. If you reach your hands out to your sides and then slowly take them over your head, you've created a curve, an arc. That's kind of the top half of your sphere. And then if you were to do the same thing from the sides of your body down to your feet, that's the bottom half or bottom arc of your sphere. And if you rotate your body and do the same thing high and low, it creates this kind of circular, um, spherical shape around you. And that's essentially all of the potential of your movement in one place in space. So if you're standing right where you are, there's infinite possibilities within that sphere of how you can move. You could reach, you can kick, you could drive your hip, you could reach an ear. Like think about all the possibilities that you can do as a human of movement. You walking upstairs, you opening a door, you reaching people, for something on a shelf. I don't think people can really grasp that because like they don't know the possibilities. They, just, like, being, oh, yeah. just being honest. Like, yeah, there's like a giant sphere around you, but what do you do with it? So what, what we've created or what was coming out will be a spherical movement course that is not an exhaustive list of movements, but it's essentially a way to help you embody your sphere so your body has better opportunity to make a, a more sound choice of movement. Obviously, there's things like you got to do it quickly or you got to be able to change direction. You know, you've got your agility, you've got your speed, you've got your mobility or the access of that range. You've got your endurance uh, muscular-wise. You've got your muscular strength. All these things, these fitness components fit inside of your sphere. It's what you do inside of your sphere with those components that's going to help you continue to expand your availability or your ability. Like everything is theoretical until we do it. Yeah, we can think like, oh, yeah, I see somebody doing a, a overhead press. I could do that but you've never done a single arm power block overhead press, your body doesn't actually know what that feels like, what that experience is full-bodied. You go grab the power block, oh, I feel it, yeah. It could be a very deep experience. You'd be like, yeah, I'm feeling my triceps and my pecs. It's, it's just a simple like, way of looking into what you're doing. Um, but with our spheres, essentially what we're looking at is gifting our body the nutrients of movement it's calling for without saying that we need to restrict all these things and just do these standard lifts that we've been told in fitness that are most important. We can do our lunges and pushes and pulls and squats and um, certain lifts, right, or balance work. It's 
that's all important. Those are all guideposts of what to do with your life. But we need to consider what are the positions that you enter into your life. And if you can have this spherical awareness while you're training, and now you, you start to be like, oh, I'm going to do an overhead press, but I'm going to like rotate and try to touch this part of my bubble. Ooh, that was really tough. I can't do that with a 20-pounder. I need to do maybe a 10-pounder. Oh, now I have a new motion data point in my sphere that my body physically experienced that now I can use in real life, which it may not be. I may not reach exactly at 45 degrees to my right side with a 10-pound weight, but I might be reaching for something off the shelf while I'm carrying my kid in one side that my body's like, you can do this. And so it has the ability to shift and to communicate to your feet and to your hips. Like just doing a reach, it's not just your arm. That hand pulled on your fascia that's attached to your core, to your organs, to your hip, down into your foot. We don't need to necessarily consider all of that all at one time, but we need to realize that that's internally what is going on. And if we're not ever considering what is internally going on until we've got that discomfort or that pain because of what we just did, we're missing the point. It's not about that sensation of pain that you had, oh, my shoulder, I think I got some impingement and I got frozen shoulder. There was a lifetime of things before that that led to this point. Hmm. So now if you can experience that and go, well, how do I set myself up for success later in my life or next week or three months from now, now that I got an impinged shoulder, well, what are the things you can do physically and are you actually willing to do them? Most people, their physical practice is, I could do this until they can't. It's thinking it. And then, oh, now I, I've lost the ability. It's like you don't use it, you lose it. Well, you physically have to use it, use your body, use your fascia, use your sphere, and be aware of it in order to continue using it. Or else you're going to lose the ability, meaning you're going to reach for something and you're like, oh, the shoulder just didn't quite have the communication it needed to the rest of my core and the whole tissue surrounding my shoulder to do this successfully. I just did this, and it was like the one rep that was the last shot on the camel's back. Actually, I've never done this before. Oh, that motion was bad. That's a that's a primal mindset. Yeah, uh, we got to get back to saying, well, what can we do, and can we continue to practice it? Your physical practice is just as important as your as your um, as brushing your teeth, as just important as showering, It's just important as eating. It's it's a physical practice, but we've we've kind of put physical practice in this box of fitness, and this is how physical practice is. But we know there's a lot of other physical practices out there. There's martial arts. There's the Tai Chi's. There's... Um, so just to pick up... Rowing? Yeah, just pick, pick up sports, pickleballs, and... You know, Go the, do some paddleboarding, yeah. yeah. Go be physical is all the physical practices. Then that is fitness. That can contribute to it. Um, but we can't lie to ourselves and just say, oh, yeah, I'm going for a hike. My cardiovascular endurance is getting way good. Right. Well, have you pushed your cardiovascular endurance? Do you try to run up the hill? Yeah. Actually, out of breath ever. Yeah. Did you try to add speed to what you're doing? It's like, um, I get back to DJ Marikami too, because I love what he is doing with unconventional training, which is if you can do something without weight, can you do it with weight? That's strength training. 100%. <laughs> Anything. 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 And then not just going, oh, well, I did it with my body weight. I'm going to try and do it with 60 pounds. No, well, no, no, we no, should no. probably work on progressively overloading that thing specific to you and consider. The, what what arises in that practice, but be willing to explore and go, wow, I might not be doing the same thing every single day, but the intent with which I'm doing it is the same. I'm learning about my body. And that's, I feel like that's why we go through so much development as kids is we're just, you're not visualizing the sphere. You are the sphere. Gosh. You're not like, oh, I'm in my body and I have all these thoughts and stuff. It's like, 
when did that get conditioned? Well, once we started saying, hey, sit down, be quiet, stop doing that crazy thing, you're embarrassing me. Pretty much school in a tr- traditional desk setting. Um, I have two kids, five and three, at the, at least the time of this podcast, and they literally use my living room as... I, I love the game Hot Lava, because the rug is hot, hot lava, and it's just the best game in the world for a three-year-old. They jump from the coffee table to the couch, to the entertainment center, and then down from the entertainment center onto an armchair. I'm like, my first is like, don't do that. But I'm like, why? Why don't do that? Because I'm afraid of them getting hurt. There's this really cool thing going on on Instagram, at least current, currently. It's like, be very aware when your kids are doing something dangerous carefully. They're being dangerous carefully. <laughs> and don't stop them. And that's the same way that we need to look at training and conditioning for all ages. And again, it changes based upon the spectrum of what that quality is. When you're doing something that's risky in a safe way, that is fitness. From now on, that is what fitness is. Welcome to the new (laughs) age of fitness. Continuing to expand your body's capacity, even if it's just resisting the downward trajectory of your body's capacity. Right? That's very important. Our bodies will eventually say, I can't do those things. I get it. But continue to keep as much as you have by being risky in a safe environment. And if our training and conditioning education must model that, it must model, it has to model do that. We need, do we need to put a disclaimer on that? <laughs> uh, do this caution. Explore your riskiness carefully with caution. Yeah, I mean, it's basically, yes. It's on you. <laughs> it is, yeah, it's always on you, right? But it's, it's the same with how we, how we grow a business, how we make more money, how we raise our children, how we drive a car because we're late. We make decisions that are, that are calculated risk. And we know that it's a risk that if I'm late, I'm going to cut through this line in traffic. It's a calculated risk. We do it all through life. Why don't we apply that to our body? That's to me. So in, in, encompass the sphere of possibility is really a visual mindset, right? And it goes back to the Michelangelo uh, drawing. Of, I don't know what the, what, the, what the drawing is, but it's that dude with long hair and big old arm swoop and legs. about Da Vinci? Yeah, it was a Da Vinci, not Michelangelo. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. The Vitruvian man? Yeah, apologize for my art history being off there. <laughs> um, obviously, I need more training in that. Um, but uh, it's, yeah, just like back then, he's like, wait a minute, look how the arm moves, look how the feet moves. And I, again, now we're in this sagittal plane dominant world of training and conditioning. This is the way to look, to make a muscle look better versus that muscle function better. That and the fear of doing something with incorrect or bad form relative to their definition of it. Mm-hmm. And I think we, as a collective, we've fed into this definition of form and function is one thing. But form is multiple things. And I think it needs to be based off of intent and the action um, that you're doing. Yeah, and the knowing that a joint can be in literally a biomechanical, inappropriate way that could really damage ligaments, really damage, you know, um, meniscus and connective tissue and bursa, right? Mm-hmm. But if the muscle around that connective or that joint and up the chain and down the chain is strong enough, the joint will be just fine. Because the joint doesn't take the stress. The muscle and fascial, fascial lines do. But if we don't train those muscles and that fascial to be um, 
competent enough in that joint bad position, then guess what happens? The joint gets chewed up, mm-hmm. and the tissue around the joint gets chewed up. So it's really, it's really, yeah, it's, it's really saying, wait a minute, what can I do versus what can't I do, and what is possible versus what is um, by the book. And explore, and I love it. I, I think this is I think this is something that, if you listen to this, and it's like, yeah, well, obviously we're not talking about every case in point, but that's not the point of this podcast. The point, the point of the podcast is to understand, like, wait a minute, there is something out there, and there's even a resource coming out that says, okay, wait a minute, I'm not really in tune with my imagination. Well, CJ is going to show it, show it to you. He's going to say, well, wait a minute, here's here's ha- here's how to do a. Well, I don't want to believe it all the way, but here's you, a balance. You here's can't a piece. you can't not walk not walk around after the course and go. Yeah, I see. I see shapes and angles and yeah. stuff that I'm creating. It's like you have an imaginary, you have, a, you have a magical pen in your hand, and when you throw the rope, you're actually drawing an infinity sign. And then without the rope, you still have that infinity sign always there. It's just the path your body's taking. Um, I can't. I can't not sit here or walk around without visualizing the sphere that surrounds me, and then just randomly jump. And yeah. have some joy. It's like, I feel like a little kid. It's like, that's the point. That, that is it. What is the benefit? Oh, you feel playful yeah. and joy again inside of your confined imaginary sphere. And that's, my, <laughs> my closing comment is that's why gymnasium is designed the way it is as a facility to be an adult playground. Because we don't have adult playgrounds. The gym should be an opportunity for an adult playground of opportunity versus rigidity. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Well, thanks for joining in on us. Excited to be back at the podcast table. This is uh, Michael Hughes, out. CJ Gabliska, out. Cheers. Hey, y'all. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, please share it with your fitness-obsessed friends and peers who are also navigating this world of fitness and trying to succeed with the trends and misinformation. As you guys can see, this podcast is basically a masterclass for trainers wanting to level up in their coaching skills and their fitness business model. We launched this in 2020 because you and your fitness tribe deserve to see an unfiltered look at all the aspects of what it takes to stand out as a next generation coach and build a successful fitness business. So share it far and wide. And please, when you do, do me a favor. Take a screenshot of this screen and share it to your social media accounts and use the hashtag gymnasopodcast. That's hashtag gymnasopodcast. That way we can see you and share your post with our audience. And finally, when you're ready to go to the next level as a coach or in your business and to reach more people, please go check out gymnasoedu.com. We have put together the best 90-day coaching program on the market for trainers wanting to become a masterful practitioner and build a business that gives them the freedom and impact. So let us help you do just that. We have online training and one-on-one coaching to guide you through a full 90-day certification. We even get you training our clients live because it's always better to work out your kinks on someone else's clients than yours. But we promise you this, your clients will be blown away by the transformation our program will help you make. You'll be masterful at a whole new level and part of an incredible community of coaches worldwide taking their skills to the next level. So if you thought today's episode had some fire to it, 
and inspired you to take action, wait until you see what we deliver on this program. So just go to gymnasioedu.com and we'll see you on the other side. Remember that turning your passion for fitness into transformation and sustainable business is critical to reaching the people and lives you were put on earth to help. It matters and truly can make an impact in other people's lives. So I hope you do that. Keep sharing your passion and we'll talk to you soon.